Good morning, church. Thank you for braving the sudden turn in cold weather to come into the Lord's house, definitely praying as we were driving that the weather would not keep God's people from gathering and worshiping and being in His presence. Well, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Do keep Tim in prayer. He's preaching and teaching at a marriage conference with the American Keswick in New Jersey, and so pouring into the lives of these couples the truths of the gospel. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. I'll be preaching through chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, a life of prayer. But I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 3, 17, so we get the full context for our passage. So beginning in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to us. You have spoken to us a trustworthy word. You have spoken to us in these last days through your Son, and you have revealed the truth of your Son and your word by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would teach and instruct, convict, encourage. Lord, give us fresh faith to pray, to pray fervently and frequently with thanksgiving, and to pray most of all that your gospel, your word would move forward. There would be open doors for the word that people would come to know you, the one true and living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at uh, chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Today we'll be talking about a life of prayer for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So Paul, in this passage, in this little section, he transitions, right? He is in this point wanting to encourage the Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer. That means to persist at, to devote yourself to prayer despite the difficulty. And if you've read the letters of Paul, you know he does this over and over again. 
Be constant in prayer, Romans 12, 12. Praying at all times in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 18. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, Philippians 4, 6. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. I believe we, we as a church value prayer, and yet I believe we also have a lot of room to grow. And I'll be the first to admit that prayer is hard for me. It's easy for my mind to wander when I'm praying. I often have to pray out loud to keep my mind focused. And I often have to just discipline myself to pray, to set aside regular times, to say, okay, well, at this time, on, the, on this day, I'm going to pray because it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get busy doing other things. And so it can be a struggle. And I'm sure you can identify as well. You've probably heard me reference a book on prayer written by Pastor John Anuchegua. I've mentioned it several times. Uh, Anuchegua compares prayer to breathing. He opens his book with this quote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be, to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So church, if we're not praying, that means it's, it's as if you're not breathing. If you stop breathing, you'll last about five minutes. you last about five minutes. That means each one of us, apart from our next breath, we're five minutes away from death. And that's a sobering thought if you think about it, that eternity could be much closer to any of us than we realize. Anu Chergo believes that our main problem in, in the church isn't a complete lack of prayer, but too little prayer. Too little prayer. How many of you have heard of bradypnea? Bradypnea. You might have heard of it if you're in the medical field. Bradypnea is super slow breathing. Super slow breathing. A normal adult should take about 15 to 18 breaths a minute. But if you drop below 12, 12 breaths per minute, you have bradypnea. And when bradypnea happens, your body begins to lose oxygen, and you can be seriously injured because your organs are lacking the oxygen that it needs. The Apostle Paul encourages us to persist in prayer, to pray like we breathe to avoid spiritual bradypnea. And this is our big idea for today. So if you're taking notes, Christians persist in prayer and thanksgiving that the good news of Jesus Christ would bear everlasting fruit. Christians persist in prayer and thanksgiving that the good news of Jesus Christ would bear everlasting fruit. And that's our big idea for today. Now I'm going to break down this big idea into three main parts, the how, the why, and the what. So how, why, and what. So number one, how do we persist in prayer? How do we devote ourselves to prayer? How do we dedicate ourselves to prayer as the Apostle Paul and God expects us to? How do we pray continually? Does God expect me and you to pray every single waking moment? Do we need to go become monks and nuns, go live in a monastery? Well, I don't think so. Paul isn't telling the church to withdraw from this world. You remember just a few verses earlier, this is why I read the whole context, Paul tells the church to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, whether you're at home or at work. 
But to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus requires staying connected to the Lord Jesus. Paul wants us to pray like we breathe, to pray as a way of life. In his book, The Practice of the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence explains how we bathe everything we do in prayer. He writes, The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God as great tranquility, as if I were on my knees. So for Brother Lawrence, it doesn't matter if he's in the kitchen or going about his normal activities, doing his business. It's as if he's on his knees, even in those moments. So whether you're at the office, you're on the job, you're in the kitchen, you're at home, you're at school, you're in the presence of God. And I need him in those moments. You need him. And we need to commune with him, connect to our almighty God. My kids know that I can often be impatient. One of my pet peeves is wasting time. For me, downtime is just another name for productivity time. You get something else done. If one of my kids is waiting to get his teeth brushed, well, I'm expecting him to clean his room. Uh, If I'm cleaning the kitchen, I expect one of the kids to vacuum the floors. But not everyone is as committed to productivity as I am. This is where God teaches me to slow down and be patient. And I can frequently find myself tempted to outbursts of anger. Like, why aren't these things done? Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Why aren't you being more productive? And so I have to pray in those moments. I have to breathe in those moments. Lord, help me to be patient. Lord, help me to serve without complaining. Lord, help me to find joy even in this moment when I feel like I want to be doing something else, when I could be doing something else, but this is where you have me now. Help me to find joy in this moment. So as you're working, as you're doing your job, as you're at home, as you're thinking, as you're writing, as you're teaching, as you're building, as you're meeting with other people, it's done with breaths of prayer. So how do we persist in prayer? We pray like we breathe. It's a way of life. So that's the how. Number two, the why. Why do we persist in prayer? Why do we need this? Well, verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. Being watchful. We persist in prayer because we need to be watchful. You never sail a ship into the big wide ocean without being watchful. The ship needs a lookout the one responsible to look ahead, to spot dangers. Maybe it's a a glacier, maybe it's rocks, maybe it's another ship. Likewise, it would be foolish for us to embark on a journey to the heavenly city without being watchful. I want to highlight three dangers that require our watchfulness in prayer. Three dangers. And this should hopefully motivate us to pray more fervently. The first danger is our enemy, Satan. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8. Scripture warns us that Satan is a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Scripture tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. To be a Christian is to be at war. To be at war. So you need the armor of God. You need to fight. So Peter goes on, resist him. Resist him. Resist the devil. Firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. 1 Peter 5.9. The scriptures tell us how to fight, how to engage in spiritual combat, how to resist. It's firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. It's not rocket science. You don't need to take a seminary course. If your faith isn't firm, then expect for that roaring lion to come after you. And Satan will come after you. He will plant seeds of doubt to undermine your faith. He'll plant seeds of doubt like, Well, God is not good. God's not for me. God's forgotten me. God's ways are no fun. Which one of it is it for you? When those spiritual attacks come, we must fight lies with the truth, to pray truth into ourselves, to pray in those moments, oh Lord, you are good, even when things don't make sense. Oh Lord, you are for me even when everything else seems to be against me. Oh, Lord, your ways are perfect and good and wise, even if temptation wants to say otherwise. Satan is our first danger, and that's why we need to persist in prayer. Our second danger is temptation. Jesus instructed his disciples to watch and pray in light of the temptations they would face. He said to them in the Garden of Gethsemane, so watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. In the garden, the disciples are in much greater danger than they realize. They don't see the temptation that's coming, the temptation to fall away, the temptation to deny Christ. Instead of staying awake, instead of being watchful, instead of watching and praying, you know what happened, right? They all fell asleep. So in failing to watch and pray, they would fall away. And church, that's a real danger for every one of us. Are you aware of the temptations that face you every day? Maybe it's fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what might happen today. Fear of the future. Maybe it's finding pleasure outside of God's protective boundary, boundaries outside of what he has given to us in his word. Maybe it's anger or bitterness, that you've suffered some wrongs, some injustice, and your heart is drawn towards anger and bitterness. Or maybe it's pride or selfish ambition. You have great dreams and aspirations for yourself, your family, and and those those can be uh, idolatrous. Church, are we keeping watch over our souls and seeking the Lord's help? The first danger is Satan, and the second is temptation. And these dangers, again, they should motivate us to fervent prayer. And the third danger is the greatest one, and that's being unprepared at the return of Jesus Christ. While watching for the return of Christ isn't the primary focus in our passage this morning, the New Testament exhorts us to be watchful. 
for the return of Christ, for the second coming. In fact, the Greek word for watchfulness is used 22 times in the New Testament, and more than half of those times, half of the times that the New Testament uses the word watchfulness, has to do with the return of Christ, more than half. For instance, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming, Matthew chapter 24. Or watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, Matthew chapter 25. In the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus talks about five virgins who are wise and prepare themselves for Christ's coming and five who are foolish, and they're caught unprepared when the bridegroom comes. The greatest danger that we face is being unprepared at the return of Christ, to be found in that moment outside of Christ. And all three of these dangers are related. If you're careless, if you're lacking watchfulness, Satan and temptation will shipwreck your faith and leave you unprepared when Christ returns. So church, let this be a renewed encouragement, a renewed exhortation to examine our hearts and to examine our own lives. Where do we need to make a renewed commitment as disciples of Christ to watch and to pray, to watch and pray over our own souls, to watch and pray over our church family? I want to speak now for a moment for those who are here this morning, maybe here with us or online, who maybe you're not sure if you're prepared when Christ comes back. You're not sure. I want to thank you for joining us this morning, and we hope that you feel loved and welcomed and cared for by our church family. But because we love you and care for you, we want you to be prepared, because that's the greatest danger. Jesus Christ is coming soon. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. And all of us, no matter how great or how small, all of us have an appointment with the God of this universe to give an account for our lives. That means every thought, word, and deed will be measured against the bar of God's holy law. So if you die in your sins, if you die in a state of rebellion against the God of this universe, God in his justice, God in his wrath will have to sentence you to everlasting punishment in hell. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if if you haven't yet done so, flee to Christ today. Flee to the Savior today. Run to the cross of Jesus Christ and receive mercy and forgiveness from the one who died in your place. Don't delay. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ today if you haven't yet to do so. So us as Christians, for us as Christians, we need to persist in prayer. So we've covered the how. We pray like we breathe. It's a way of life. We've covered the why because of the dangers all around us. And now the what. What should be the content of our prayers? What do we need to pray about? What should fill our prayers to God? Well, Paul talks about how we need to seek the things that are above, set our minds on things above. And that's something I need to remind myself of over and over again, because the gravitational pull of self wants everything, even my prayers, to revolve around my needs, my wants, my desires. Let's look again at verse 2. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Church, we have to remember, thanksgiving is critical. Thanksgiving fuels God-glorifying prayer. If you don't have fuel, your car isn't going anywhere. No matter how fancy, how new, how great your car is. It doesn't matter if you have a Tesla Model X or a Ford Pinto. If your batteries aren't charged or your tank is empty, you're not going anywhere. Without thanksgiving to God, our prayers get stalled by the needs and problems of the moment. But with thanksgiving, our perspective changes. You know this, church. You've experienced this over and over again. When you just devote yourself to thanking God, focusing on who he is, what he's done, our perspective changes. It's no longer about what I don't have, but what I do have. It's no longer about how big the problem is, but how big our God is. It's no longer about me, it's about God. That's what thanksgiving does. As one commentator points out, thanksgiving affirms the lordship of Christ. If we want to affirm the lordship of Christ, take time to thank him, to recognize him, to praise him for all he has done for us. And as Christians, our reasons for thanksgiving are endless. We could spend all day, this whole sermon, talking about what Christ has done for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? John Woodhouse writes, Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one through whom and for whom all things have been made. And by his death on the cross, God has reconciled all things to him and brought order out of chaos, peace out of hostility, reconciliation out of alienation, Christ among the nations is the hope of glory. As I was studying, praying, and preparing, I knew that Paul was thankful. But as I was studying Colossians, I was just blown away at how much Paul oozes thanksgiving. He practices what he preaches. And he just can't stop talking about thanksgiving. Uh, Colossians 3.15 and be thankful. Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 3.17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's just one small section in Colossians. Three times in three consecutive verses, Paul's talking about giving thanks. So that should convict, that should challenge, that should encourage us. How much of our prayer is devoted to giving thanks to God, to praising God, to remembering what he has done, to remembering who God is and what God has done, what God has done throughout the Bible, what God has done in our life, what God has done in the life of our church. Pastor Sam Storms writes, It's hard to be fearful when you are immersed in gratitude. It's hard to be fearful when you are immersed in gratitude. Thankfulness turns the human soul toward heaven and away from self. Thankfulness requires that we fix our focus 
on the fact that God is and who God is and what God has done and will do. So here's something for us to try this week, church. Maybe you're already doing this, and if you are, I want to encourage you to press forward and continue. Before you ask anything from God, spend at least that amount of time giving thanks to God. So if you're going to pray 10 minutes, you're going to pray 10 minutes, dedicate five minutes to thanksgiving. Dedicate as much time giving thanks as much time you are asking and making requests. So take, then, and maybe do it first. Take five minutes to give thanks to God, then five minutes to ask things from God. But that does raise an important question. What do we ask God for? We know we are to thank God. We know we are to keep our minds and hearts focused on God and away from ourselves. But what do we ask for? What should be the content of our requests? Let's look at verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is in prison. He's in chains for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. It's likely that this imprisonment was the one, is the one we read at the end of the book of Acts, where Paul is in Rome under house arrest. But notice what Paul doesn't ask for. He's in prison. He's in chains for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't ask the church to pray for his freedom. Do you notice that? He doesn't ask, hey, pray for my freedom. It's not wrong. Wouldn't have been wrong for Paul to ask for, for freedom. In fact, in the letter of Philemon, written at the same time to a church member in Colossae, he affirms that getting out would be a good thing. Philemon 1.22 says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. So Paul affirms that, hey, freedom, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the focus, the priority, is not an open door out of prison, but an open door for the word. That's the priority. Not an open door out of prison, but an open door for the word. It's not wrong to ask for things that we need. We know our Heavenly Father loves us, knows what we need. And Jesus taught us to ask for our daily bread. But if we're mostly concerned about our daily bread, we've missed the point. If you've ever eaten at Sonic, it's a fast food drive-up restaurant. There are booths where you you pull up your car, roll down your window, check out the menu. And then when you're ready to order, you push this circular red button on the console, which activates the intercom. You push that red button, and then you hear, welcome to Sonic. May I take your order? And then you order. You order your lunch. Maybe you order burger or fries, in our case, tater tots. We love their tater tots. And if you want to go all out, you throw in a milkshake. Too often, we treat prayer like that circular red button. We push it so we can send up our order to heaven. As I heard from a missionary, God designed prayer to be a wartime walkie-talkie, not an intercom for ourselves. God designed prayer for the advancement of his kingdom, to call down reinforcements, to break enemy strongholds. That's what Paul does here. 
He wants the Colossians to use their walkie-talkie to ask the commander-in-chief, God himself, to open a door for the word, to make a way for the proclamation of the gospel, because apart from an open door, there will only be gospel dead ends. But you might be wondering, well, if God knows everything, if he can do everything, why do we need to pray? Why does Paul really want the Colossian church to pray, pray for that open door for the word? God's going to do what he's going to do, right? But you'd be missing a very important point. In his divine wisdom and sovereignty, God chooses. He didn't have to, but God chooses to get his work done through our prayers, the prayers of the saints. God chooses to work through the prayers of the saints. He could have chosen any other way, but in his perfect wisdom, in his perfect plan, that is how God has chosen to work, through your prayers, through my prayers. So that means Moses, in Exodus, had to intercede for God's mercy so the Israelites wouldn't be destroyed. Hezekiah had to pray for God's mercy so his life would be spared. And so you and I have to, to pray for an open door for the word. Otherwise, the door will remain shut. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says to one of the seven churches, Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the commander-in-chief, the Lord of hosts, has the power to open doors that will stay open. So church, if we want to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel, We want to see people surrender to Jesus Christ and follow him. God has to work. We see a similar prayer request in 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. That work of God, that planting of the church in Thessalonica, those people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, wasn't an accident. It was God's response to the prayers of God's people. So church, if we're going to see people follow Jesus Christ when they come on Sunday, when they go to the bridge course, or when they receive saturated materials, we must pray. We must pray. And these are prayers God loves to answer. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. We do not have because we do not ask. So church, let's keep asking. Let's keep seeking. Let's keep knocking as Jesus exhorted his disciples to do. Hudson Taylor served as a pioneer missionary to China for over 50 years until he died in China in 1905. The Lord used Hudson Taylor to raise up an army of laborers through the China Inland Mission. And there was one mission station that was particularly blessed by God, far above the other mission stations. There was gospel fruit. They were seeing things happen in ways that they didn't see in other places, that people were turning to the Lord and following him. God blessed the work of this one station in powerful ways. But what was the reason? That's what Hudson Taylor and the other missionaries were wondering. Taylor and others couldn't explain it because the other mission stations were filled with other faithful and devoted missionaries. They were all filled with faithful and devoted missionaries. What was special about this one station? On a trip back to England, Hudson 
Taylor was traveling and speaking. After one meeting, a man began to ask Hudson about that one particular mission station. Then he kept asking many personal questions. It turned out the man had been a college roommate of the missionary at that station many years earlier, and he had committed himself to praying daily for the work there. And Hudson Taylor then said, Then I knew the answer. Then I knew the answer. It was prayer. Prayer made that difference. Yes, the God of this universe, who needs nothing, who doesn't even need our prayers, but he has chosen, God in his sovereignty, in his love, in his wisdom, has chosen to bless the work of the gospel in answer to the prayers of his people. That means we, as your pastors, need your prayers. We need you to pray that the word of Christ would be made clear as we make known the mystery of Christ, that God would open a door for the word. Our missionaries need our prayers. Those who are serving on the front lines, establishing new works, who are trying to reach unreached people groups around the world, they need our prayers. The missionaries we have sent out, Pat and Lynn Paris, need our prayers. Our bridge teachers and volunteers need our prayers. So as we bring things to a close this morning, Christians persist in prayer and thanksgiving that the good news of Jesus Christ would bear everlasting fruit. We've talked about the how. We persist in prayer as a way of life. It's like breathing. The why because of the spiritual dangers. And then the what? The content of our prayers are thanksgiving and an open door for the word. That the word would be powerful and effective, bear fruit in our lives and the, in the lives of others who have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to once again highlight two regular opportunities for us to pray together as a church family. First, every Sunday morning at 9.30, we pray in the basement. We pray before the service that God would work, that God would move, that, that, that the gospel, that the word would be clear, that God would meet us and move among us. And second, every, Sunday, every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m., we gather to pray over Zoom. You can get on your computer, get on your phone. You can just call in, dial in even for 15 minutes. Join us for prayer Wednesday evening, 7.30, and Sunday morning, 9.30. So church, let's, let's breathe regularly. Let's breathe frequently as we consider the, the, the future return of Christ, the danger set before us, the gospel opportunities before us. And not just on our own, but with one another. Let's avoid spiritual bradypnia. Let's thrive as God's people, bearing fruit in every good work through the power of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you, God, because you are a God who loves to answer prayer. You are a God who is powerful, mighty, faithful, and true. You are the first, you are the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one true and living God. There's no other God besides you. And so it is with humble hearts, it is with grateful hearts that we would ask that you would keep your promises to establish and build your church, to persevere us to the end, God, 
to open a door for the Word that others might come to know you, place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, stir our hearts, stir our affections. May we be a praying church. Holy Spirit, make us a praying church. In Jesus' name, amen.